Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Gaetan Buggio. He's a group leader, part of the Buggio Group, part of Australia National University. And we're going to talk about uh, AMR, antimicrobial resistance, and CRISPR. So Gaetan, thanks for coming. Nice to be here. Tell me about your uh, research. What are you working on? So my research is uh, divided in two different projects. So the first one is to develop CRISPR technology, uh, so gene editing technology. And the second project is better understand why bacteria are resistant. So what we call antimicrobial resistance. Try to better understand why they are resistant and how they interact with uh, the mammalian system. So the, the host, what we call so which bacteria are you focusing on? Are you looking at a, in, in what setting? So I'm focusing on two bacteria that are quite important. These are uh, causing a lot of trouble in the hospital. So the, the, the first one is quite known is uh, Staphylococcus aureus. It's a bacteria that has a huge effect in the hospital, in ICU and so on. And the second one, uh, which is an immune nasty, is a bacteria called Acinetobacter bomania. So it's a bacteria that is resistant to pretty much everything, all antibiotics, and it's frequently seen in acid. So Staphylococcus aureus, and what's the second one again? Acinetobacter bonemaniae. Yeah. Okay. So the, so the second one is less known. However, it, it is a more deadly bacteria compared to Staphylococcus. Okay. Where is uh, Staph aureus? I've heard about it. I guess it's on skin, and there's a pathogenic form that can form. Um, you know, is that the case? Where does it commonly appear? And uh... For the other one, the Acetobacter, where does that one definitely appear or commonly appear? Acetobacter bomaniae is a nasty one because it stays uh, everywhere. So mostly seen in uh, surgical instruments if it's not properly sterilized and is the, the one that is very hard to eradicate in ICU. So once it's there, 
Cascade community, it is an absolute nightmare uh, to eradicate and it's resistant to pretty much all antibiotics. So it's uh, way more nastier than the Staphylococcus aureus in many ways. So how do these uh, bacteria, what happens when they become resistant? Do they take on extra genes or plasmids or what, do you, what have you observed? Yeah, that's correct. So what happens is they acquire yeah, new plasmids, new resistant genes. They evolve quite rapidly and uh, they have a unique ability to persist, what we call persisting, so stay in the body and uh, escape immunity. So that's why it's very, very hard to eradicate those. And they acquire more and more resistance. So it's an um, arm race between uh, trying to eradicate those and avoid uh, further resistance. Okay, well, again, when they become resistant, how do they change? Is there, uh, you know, an underlying change in their genetic material? Uh, what's yeah. the mechanism by which they change? So, so they can change all sorts of things. They can change their coat. They can change their metabolism. They can change their ability to take more plasmids. Uh, they can exchange plasmids with other species. Uh, they can do all sorts of things. And it's really, really difficult to eradicate those because they adapt very quickly and tend to change very often. So you, you think we have uh, a treatment and then the bacteria evolve and change. We have another treatment, they evolve again and change it. So it, it happens all the time. So that's uh, what they make them resistant to premature antibiotics. Well, what, what's the mechanism? You know, have, has this been studied in vitro and does it correlate with in vivo? You know, when uh, you introduce, let's say, you have bacteria in a dish, you introduce an antibiotic, can you tell how the bacteria are adapting? The mechanisms of it. Yeah, so the mechanism is basically the way they're adapting is they mutate. A good example, Acinetobacter bomaniae is resistant to an antibiotic called cholestine. So cholestine is not, I don't know if it's employed in the, in the States, it's not employed in Australia, but in certain countries they use cholestine because this is the last resort antibiotics we have, carbapenem. So what happened to the bacteria? When we administer uh, cholestine in vivo, in the dish, it's the equivalent, the bacteria mutates its coat because the cholestine interactly, directly interact with the bacteria coat, so what we call the membrane. And because it's mutating its coat, it becomes resistant to the antibiotics. And the bacteria has the unique ability to lose its coat, so it can live uh, pretty much without a membrane. Part, a large part of its membrane, which is quite unreal when we think about it. So it's, there are multiple ways to escape uh, the antibiotics. It can mutate or it can clearly lose its, its coat. So it's one of the mechanisms. Another mechanism is to resist anti, uh, against the antibiotics. It uh, pumps out the antibiotics when it comes in into the bacteria. So it comes with a system called the FX pump. So it's uh, the, 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 the antibiotics come into the bacteria and the bacteria ex- expel the, the, the antibiotic right away. So this is another mechanism, and there are plenty of mechanisms for the bacteria to escape the antibiotics. This is the way the bacteria survive and thrive uh, within within the body. Oh, I, yeah, I've heard of efflux pumps. I've heard of, uh, yeah, all these things in the past. Okay, so are the bacteria that you study, are they typically in biofilms or are they free-living? And do they react differently if they're in biofilms? Do they acquire... The resistance easier or harder, or what do you see? So this is so this is interesting because this is a bacteria that is not spe- specifically virulent, so it's not the one that you've heard a lot. Uh, yes, it persists in the biofilm quite a lot, uh, but that is not only the case. 
read these bacteria as the unique ability to evade immunity. So that's why it persists a lot in the, in the body, stay hidden for a while, and after uh, when someone is immunocompromised, uh, for example, someone in ICU, the bacteria becomes virulent. And uh, really what makes uh, really difficult to eradicate is the one, the ability of the bacteria to acquire multiple antibiotic resistance, and secondly, to uh, be able to escape immunity. Uh, usually the immune system sees bacteria and eradicate it, not for that one, uh, because it does adds multiple ways to escape. And this is what we study quite a lot in the lab. I understand the immune system eradicates it, but again, is it, if you have a biofilm, is it hardened? Is it more resistant to, uh, you know, is, are there trade-offs? Is it less likely to become resistant to biofilm, but yet it has more protection from the immune system? Or are there no trade-offs? And this happens no. the same way with biofilms as with free-living bacteria? Yes. So these bacteria, for example, has this ability to form biofilms. And once the bacteria in our uh, in community forming biofilms, it's much harder to eradicate because uh, the bacteria are hidden. And so within the, uh, the biofilm and the antibiotics don't penetrate into the full biofilm. So they can't really get rid of those bacteria. So this is one aspect. The other aspect is this ability to escape immunity, as I was mentioning. So there are two different mechanisms of uh, resistance. Well, okay, so is uh, biofilm formation just another way that, that bacteria become resistant? Could you count that in its, in its cookbook of, of things to do to resist death? Yeah, that's right. This is, this is absolutely correct. And it depends on the bacteria. So, so some bacteria forming are more likely to form biofilms uh, that are resistant to all possible uh, detergents. Acinetobacteria is a good example. In forms of biofilms, and biofilms are really hard to eradicate. And it fuels even more antimicrobial resistance. So these are typical bacteria that are uh, likely to form a lot of biofilms. Some are less likely, and they are, they are above their mechanisms of resistance. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000-plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Okay, so what mechanism of resistance do you focus on and study the most? Or are you looking at all of them and, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and figure out? Yeah, my focus is a lot on uh, why the bacteria escapes immunity. Basically, why the bacteria thrives into a mammalian host, so what we call a mammalian host could be uh, human or mouse, but most likely mouse, cause for obvious reasons. And basically, why these bacteria resist to antibiotics, escape immunity, thrives, is more virulent than ever. So I work on bacteria that are resistant to premature antibiotics, and I inoculate those in immune-deficient mice, to see exactly what happened there. And I block multiple uh, immune system pathways to see 
what happened there, if the bacteria can escape or not. And unfortunately, most of the time, the bacteria can escape. Well, how? What, what is the mechanism by which they escape in some well, of these try, systems that you're setting up? So we try to determine why. But basically, what happens is you inoculate the bacteria. The bacteria activates, let's say, one uh, pathway, one immune pathway. You block that pathway, it uh, activates, it escapes and activates another pathway. You block the other pathway. The problem is by blocking all possible immune pathways, the host doesn't have enough, I would say, beneficial inflammation to eradicate the bacteria. So the bacteria thrive and kill the host. So it's really what exactly in the bacteria is happening, I don't know yet. We try to determine what, is, what makes the bacteria escaping the immunity. That's the entire goal of my research. Well, so we have no clue. I mean, is there different phage activity? You know, when, they're, when, they, when they become resistant, can you evaluate their, their virome, you know, the phages oh. that affect them? So, no, no, so yes, we can ev- evaluate their virulence. They are not more virulent. It's kind of strange. So they, they have this unique ability to escape the immune system. The immune uh, system. They are not virulent, but they use, uh, I think they, so but what the work is, misled the host, kind of make it think to the host, oh, okay, that's where I'm going, where in fact the bacteria goes to completely different ways. It's really bizarre. So we think that we have the right target to kill the bacteria, but in fact, even by killing, so by targeting this specific molecule, the bacteria goes elsewhere. Uh, because it's misled the host and the host think that, okay, this is where it's critical for the bacteria, is the Achille nil, and we can get rid of that, the bacteria, but in fact, it doesn't happen. And we don't really know what happened in the bacteria side. We try to determine this. Why is this so nasty? So why it does mislead the host? Okay, well, any hints on the mechanism of how this happens and how it acquires these, uh, you know, these abilities to evade the immune system. What's the, you know, any idea on how the bacteria is analyzing and, you know, getting feedback and seeing how to adapt its approach? Yeah, this, this is exactly what we're trying to do to better understand why does this and how. So we have quite an idea. So we have a bit of an idea. Uh, basically, the bacteria mutates. It mutates. It sees the immune system killing it. So what it does, it adapts and escape by mutating itself so that avoid uh, the bacteria to get killed. It makes it less virulent, so the immune system don't, doesn't detect it. That is another way of escape. So we try to determine exactly what's going on there. What do you mean it becomes less virulent? I mean, how does yeah. it change itself specifically? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So, so this is trade-off between if it's virulent, the immune system detects it. If it's not virulent, the bacteria can persist, mm. survive. So what happens is uh, basically the bacteria uh, tend to mutate some virulent component. For example, uh, the efflux pump, as we mentioned earlier, to be uh, to become less virulent. So this is one of the mechanisms of it mutates its capsule. It does all sorts of things to avoid get killed. Okay, so when it forms a uh, an efflux pump, it's busy with that, with getting the poisons out of itself. And what, therefore, it becomes less virulent because it's, it's occupied, its energetic resources are tied up in that? This is a possibility. But so the efflux pump is not only about antibiotics. There are other components as well. This is part of uh, the secretion system. And the secretion system is the way of, for the body to exchange uh, metabolites to survive. So it um, can modulate its 
metabolite exchange, as I would say, to become more or less virulent. It adapts very quickly. It's incredible. It's truly incredible how those bacteria adapt. Okay. Have you done this experimentation on single bacteria versus, you know, multiple ones? Because I would guess there's bacteria to bacteria communication that says, all right, someone's in trouble. Let's let's help them out and give them this piece of code through a plasmid. They could develop an efflux pump, et cetera. Or are they developing this stuff just on their own somehow? Pump develops or is resistance develops? Again, how does it happen? Like what, what's been observed? So this is a very interesting question. So we haven't unfortunately done experiment with multiple strains of bacteria. The reason is practical, but this is something we came up quite a lot in the lab. At the moment, we do a single bacteria, but within the community, so within a single bacteria, it interacts with the host microbiota and can acquire more plasmids and so on. So it's not only the bacteria itself, it can interact with other bacteria too. Okay, so you're looking at this in a microbiome setting in a host? Or, you know, what kind of conditions are you looking at these bacteria to evaluate how they do what they do? Are they more successful in adapting when they're part of a microbiome of a, of a holobiont? Or, you know, like, under what conditions does this work better? Yeah, so we try to tease this out at the moment. We don't, I don't have an answer right now to, for you. Um, but it looks like that the bacteria adapts interact with the microbiota to acquire more genetic material. Okay, have you looked at the interactions of, uh, you know, let's say human cells with our microbiome cells, specifically, let's say Staph aureus or the other one you mentioned, and, uh, you know, to see what kind of metabolites are being traded and maybe when there's resistance, the metabolites change that are normally being traded? Not, we haven't done that experiment yet. This is an excellent idea, an excellent suggestion. We haven't done yet. At the moment, okay. we are in a single, but a single clone system uh, because it's easier for us to tease out. When you... Uh, introduce a bacterial community that's much harder to determine what is doing what. So how many bacteria will you look at at one time? And again, do you have to control conditions so they don't form biofilms or you just let them naturally do it? If they do it, you know, are there any prompts to the system that, you know, that cause them to, you know, go into biofilm form or take on unusual forms? So we don't necessarily look at biofilms. So we look at a specific part of the bacterial cycle. So when the bacteria invades, so the, uh, the mammalian cells. So this is a really specific time, so upstream, so before biofilm formation, basically. So my colleagues in the field look at biofilm formation. I don't look particularly at, at this. I look more at how the bacteria is virulent, invades mammalian cells. Okay, very good. Well, Gaetan, what, um, I mean, what hypotheses are you testing right now over the next year or so? So there are two important experiments we are doing. Um, one, so antimicrobial resistance is basically uh, really to get into why, what part of the bacteria is critical for immune escape. Which bit of the bacteria is the most critical for immune escape? Because if we know this, we will be able to target uh, those antimicrobial resistance, so these MR bacteria. So this is our main focus. And uh, the second focus is to find treatment uh, against those bacteria. So we are trying a couple of uh, possible treatments as immune modulator uh, that can eradicate those bacteria in what we call preclinical trial setting. So we have some candidate molecules. Uh, we are trying to see if they can basically kill the bacteria. That's the main uh, focus right now. So, I mean, since, since people can do single cell sequencing, would that be useful for bacteria? If you look at, uh, you know, 
a bunch of bacteria in a dish and again look at them in a single cell manner and see which ones have changed and how genetically and you know maybe look at their transcriptomics etc and see in a population if they all react the same or they all act differently no i think that's that would be very useful to look at a single bacteria which one are mutated or which one are not absolutely this is a, a way to tease out what is happening to the bacteria Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Gaetan, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? So on the website, uh, the ANU website, so I will, I will very likely to update it uh, very soon. And my Twitter feed, uh, but it's all about CRISPR. A little bit about IMR bacteria, but mostly about CRISPR. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Gaetan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thank you for having me. It was a great uh, discussion. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.